0: Welcome to Orphan Entertainment, the podcast dedicated to public domain and abandoned media. I'm your host, Christopher. Joining me is a woman whose assassination attempts of her character have all failed. It's
1: Lydia. <laughs> it's because it's, it's vote-worthy. I don't know where. <laughs> <laughs> I never know what you're going to say. So those of you listening, I never know what he's going to say. We don't practice this.
0: <laughs> uh, it always takes me a good... I, I think it's the longest time that I spend on doing these notes is trying to come up with the pun to introduce you. Well, welcome. Thank you for joining me, Lydia. Thank you, Christopher. Uh, Thank everyone for downloading and listening here. Uh, Just to remind you that you can get us through iTunes if you haven't already. We're also on Google Play. Any feedback? We'd love to hear from you. Uh, send it to OrphanEntertainment at gmail.com or join our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook.com and search for Orphan Entertainment. And, of course, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel where you can watch all the films that we've covered or are going to cover. I post those usually a week or two in advance. And you can uh, watch them along, uh, watch them before the podcast or wait and see what we have to think about of the show or the movie before you uh, spend the time. So I think with that, we will go ahead and jump into another five-minute mystery. I hope you enjoy these. I'd really like to know if there's any listeners that, you do, do you like the five-minute mysteries or you don't? I'd love to hear you, hear your thoughts on that. But uh, this time, you're going to hear it no matter what. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, go ahead and take a listen to that. See if you can solve the mystery before they give you the solution. And you also hear a great uh, promo from another fine podcast. And we'll be back to discuss suddenly. Another
2: five-minute mystery.
3: Hospital on the east side. A dying patient gives a last, expiring gasp. He's gone. Slipped through my fingers like water running through a sieve. It's not your fault, Doctor Grant. You've done everything you could. The hospital certainly not failed. Nurse, this man should never have died. Something's wrong. I don't know what it is, but I'm sure that James Towner here did not die of the ailment he came to this hospital for. Nurse, I'm going to get permission to perform an autopsy.
2: Your hunch was right, Dr. Grant. What is it? Tell me, Jones. When we tested Towner's blood in the lab, a foreign substance showed up immediately. I didn't recognize it, but one of my assistants seemed to think he knew what it was. So I let him make tests. A rare poison used only by the South American Indians was introduced into the bloodstream of the victim. It killed him, all right.
3: But that's impossible, Dr. Grant. Jones, did your man say whether this poison could have been taken through food or... I thought of that, too. He
2: swears it is the only effective... Way when it is taken directly into the bloodstream. And is there any antidote? Uh, Not known. My man says the Indians obtain a certain immunity by injecting themselves with small amounts over a long period of time. How could that poison have gotten into Towner's bloodstream?
3: Doctor, I was with the patient every minute he was here. I could swear he had nothing intravenous during the whole time except the transfusions. Two of them which you ordered yourself.
2: The transfusions. Who was the donor? Uh, Mr. Harkness, a friend of Towner's, happened to be visiting him. The friend immediately offered him blood. Towner was grateful and accepted. Harkness said something about his being the least he could do. We tested his blood and found it the right type, so we did the transfusion. I think we ought to investigate Harkness.
3: But, Dr. Grant, I'm positive that Mr. Harkness did not even touch Mr. Towner during the whole time of his illness. If what I'm thinking is true, Harkness had something to do with the death of James Towner just the same.
2: Well, we were certainly lucky, Doctor. There's no question about it. Harkness is your
3: man. I knew it. I knew it. I've had Harkness investigated by the police. He's mentioned in Towner's will, gets the whole estate. The police have searched his apartment and found just what I expected.
2: I feel my medical judgment has been vindicated, Jonesy. You're right, Doctor. We're going to have this man Harkness arrested for the murder of James Towner.
3: Do you know what the doctor and the laboratory technician discovered which indicated to them that Harkness murdered his friend Towner? The doctor will tell you in a moment, but first...
4: Okay, you know what it's like. You're flicking through Amazon or the local DVD shop, when suddenly you discover a film that you haven't seen in years, but which you remember as being legendary. A purchase is hastily made. you invite friends over, make popcorn and settle down to watch this classic. But then it becomes apparent that your mind has double-crossed you, and that this film is frankly awful. Soon your friends have deserted you, your boss says he has to let you go, and even your dog won’t come when you call. How did it go so wrong? Well, in the interests of Public Harmony, a new podcast I saw that years ago sets out to watch the old films that your memory has convinced you are brilliant, but which in reality could be anything but. So join me, your host Martin Darkley, and my compatriot, Gentleman Joe, as we watch the old films so you don't have to find us at www.isawthatyearsago.com or on iTunes
3: And now, back to our story Well, Doctor, what have you found? The thing that indicated to me the fact that Harkness had a hand in the murder of James Towner was something Jones said when he spoke of the poison, and the way the South American Indians gained immunity from it. I deduced that probably, against the chance that his so-called friend would need a transfusion, Harkness had so immunized himself over a period of time. If he had, the poison would still be in his blood in some quantity, small perhaps, but enough to react unfavorably on Towner in his condition. A police search verified my hunch. And now... Harkness is being tried for one of the most unusual murders that has ever come to my attention.
0: Okay, yes, we are talking about 1954's film Suddenly. Uh, the film's big star here is Frank Sinatra. And as typical for me, when there is so much to say about someone that appears in these films, I tend to say nothing at all. <laughs> uh, and instead, to look at some of the more lesser-known and sometimes very interesting folks that go along with them. I want to point out Mr. Paul Frees, who plays the wannabe assassin Benny Conklin. Freeze may not be as well known by face, but by voice. He's a prolific voice actor, known for his work on MGM, Walter Lance, and Walt Disney cartoons, and for the voice of Boris excuse me, Boris Badenoff in the Rocky and Bullwinkle show. He had an unusually wide four-active voice range that enabled him to do a variety of voices. Throughout the 50s and 60s, he would be hired to re-loop the dialogue of other actors to correct for foreign accents or their lack of English or for just poor line readings. These would sometimes be a few lines to an entire roles. In the film Some Like It Hot, Freeze provides the voice of funeral director Mozzarella as well as the falsetto voice for Tony Curtis's Josephine. Freeze dubbed Humphrey Bogart in his final film The Harder They Fall, Bogart was suffering from esophageal cancer and could barely be heard in some takes. Wow. So if you watch that film, you're hearing Paul Freeze instead of Humphrey Bogart. Wow. Uh, Paul Fries is uh, his voice characterizations, you believe me, you've heard him. Well,
1: he, I was just, and honestly, he's one that I did not look into much, but he was, he was in... The Hobbit. <laughs> he was one of he's one of the dwarfs. who's Bombor, but more importantly, he was Santa Claus in Frosty the Snowman.
0: Yes, he did a lot of stuff for that was Rankin Bass. Yes, uh, Rankin Bass. He worked with everything. If there was a studio that did any kind of animation, I mean, where a lot of voice actors were in a single studio, Paul Freeze went to. He did stuff for Warner Brothers. He did stuff for MGM. He did stuff for Rankin Bass. He did. Uh, he worked with George Powell, a uh, movie director, and you know, Puppetoons, and and some of his other, you know, science fiction films. So yeah, he was all over the map. You've heard this man's voice, oh, yeah. and occasionally you see him. Sometimes he's the news guy, you know, the guy that shows up on the TV. Yes, this just in. <laughs> you know, now that, that'll be Paul Frees, or you'll hear him on the radio. Mm. It, if you actually listen for it, you hear the hear, hear his voice. It's kind of like, well, that sounds like someone from another film. <laughs> well, it was <laughs> whoever you think it was. It probably was <laughs> someone else. I wanted to talk about. I want to talk about Sterling Hayden, yes. guy who played uh, Sheriff, Todd, um, Sheriff Todd.
1: Sheriff Todd. Todd. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I I just keep calling him Todd, <laughs> I just, I just
0: but it is in fact Todd Shaw. Frank on his last name. It's Todd Shaw. <laughs> Shaw. Thank you. Yeah, Sheriff Todd Shaw. This guy is really interesting to talk about for this film uh, in particular. Did I just say particular twice? Yep. I don't think so. Oh. <laughs> anyway. Was I
1: supposed to be listening? <laughs> <laughs> I only I'm heard particular once.
0: I don't care. <laughs> Hayden was a, uh, a print model who was picked up by Paramount Pictures who then dubbed the 6 foot 5 blonde actor the most beautiful man in the movies and the beautiful blonde viking god
1: <laughs> that explains a <laughs> lot and also explains why he seems so much taller than Frank Sinatra in this film he is incredibly tall
0: he's very tall he's a big man <laughs> he did two films with Paramount Virginia in 1941 and Bahama Passage in 42 and then left Hollywood to join the Marines There, he eventually went into officer school, and after graduating that, he was selected to join the Office of the Coordinator of Information under William J. Wild Bill Donovan. This would become the Office of Strategic Services, the OSS, which was the precursor to the CIA. Mm -hmm. During his time as an OSS agent, he sailed and delivered to Yugoslav partisans and parachuted into fascist Croatia. He received the Silver Star for gallantry and actions in the Balkans and the Mediterranean, which is interesting, uh, especially for what we're going to talk about here in a little bit. He also got a bronze arrowhead for parachuting behind enemy lines, and he got a commendation from Yugoslavia's Marshal Tito. He left active duty in 1945 and returned to Hollywood. His uh, admiration for the uh, the bravery, he was really impressed with the Communist Partisans, uh, and that led to a brief membership in the Communist Party. Interesting. As the Red Scare grew worse, he cooperated with the House of Un-American Activities Committee, confessing his brief Communist ties and uh, naming names. Hayden subsequently uh, repute, repudiated his cooperation with the committee. In his autobiography, he wrote, "I don't think you have the foggiest notion of the contempt I have had for myself since the day I did that thing." Interesting, very interesting. I thought that was a real interesting factoid considering the uh, the role he plays here in the film and what the, this, this film is about. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was definitely had to bring that up.
1: Yeah, very interesting.
0: And yes, Frank Sinatra. I mean, like I said, I mean, what can you really say? I,
1: <laughs> well, one thing we can say is I I feel like this is a very atypical role for him. So if you're going to if you've seen a Frank Sinatra film before this is probably not very similar
0: for him. No, maybe not. I don't I'm trying to remember how many times I've seen him as the bad guy. And I honestly don't know. Of course I'm I don't I'm not going to say I've seen a lot of Sinatra films. I've seen some Sinatra films. Mhm. But typically he's comes out as the hero or the victim or, or the, I saw the man with the golden arm where he wasn't necessarily a bad guy, but he was certainly, you know, he was a suffering uh, person. Mm-hmm. Um, Manchurian candidate, uh, another film about uh, presidential assassination, which came out about 10 years after this one. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I can't imagine. I'm trying to think of, I'm, I'm sure he must've played the bad guy in other films. I just.
1: Yeah. Oh yes. I'm definitely confident of that. I think it's not his Typical role, and a lot of the times um, you see him, where t- t- technically he's a criminal, but he's still kind of a good guy. And right. I think this is a bit, of, a
0: little bit of a departure from that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's start talking about the film. Suddenly, we open up with a with a welcome to the town of Suddenly. I like um, a guy happens to be driving by, asks a officer on the side of the road, "Hey, you know which way to." Three rivers or whatever it was he was looking for, and it gives him directions. He's like, hey, what town is this? Suddenly, suddenly, what? No, no, that's the town. That's the name of the town. <laughs> and he explains that that's how things used to happen. Back, it's a holdover from the old days. You know, there used to be gangsters and you know the gold, you know, gold rush and everything. Everything happened suddenly. And I liked his uh, his joke <laughs> after the guy's like, oh, I guess things have changed, son. Huh? He's like, Yeah, the town council's thinking about changing the town to eventually.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, we see Sheriff Todd Shaw walking along, and he meets Peter Pidge uh, Benson on on the street. He walks along with him. And yeah, he it's had- worth
1: mentioning at this point, Pidge is a child. Yes. <laughs> it's okay. Um, but he, he kind of wanders across this little boy carrying some packages and, mm-hmm. and says, hey, Pidge.
0: Yeah, where's your mom at? Well, he tells her she's down doing some grocery shopping. She had He had to go pick up some packages from the post office or something. So uh, Todd walks along with him to go talk to his mom. During the walk, Pidge drops some hints that he's uh, he's wanting something that his mom won't let him have. And that turns out to be a shiny cap gun pistol. I guess the whole time that we're playing a little bit of the guessing game as far as trying to Todd's trying to figure out what it is that Pidge wants, we get a little bit of exposition uh, from Pidge and from Todd that Pidge's dad was killed in the war, mm-hmm. which gives Mom a dislike of war pictures and guns. We find that all during this little walk. Well, seeing as Pidge wants to be a sheriff and not a crook, Todd buys him the gun, thinking that Mom will be okay with it since, you know, Pidge wants to be a lawman and not some criminal. And now we meet Mom, Ellen Benson. Turns out Todd is super sweet on Ellen, but Ellen spurns Todd's affections. Todd tries to. I'm not sure how I feel too much about Todd and kind of him pushing Ellen. It's been three years since your husband died. You can't stay a widow forever.
1: I know. <laughs> no, I, 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 I don't really have an opinion. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> I, I know that's really unusual for me. I, I feel like, you know, three years can seem a lot for somebody that's, you know, romantically involved with somebody or romantically interested in somebody. But um, I you know, I feel like this is kind of just a, a setup for, OK, this is how these people know each other so that it's not a bunch of random strangers in the room.
4: True. Uh, okay.
1: you, you know, it, I, I don't feel like it. It's I almost feel like this is the scene that they threw in so that they could get women to go see the movie, too.
0: Mm, Maybe All right. Well, Ellen does not appreciate Todd buying Pidge the gun. The conversation and the argument that Todd uses is certainly a product of its time. Well, Pidge needs to be comfortable around a gun. You know, when it's his turn, which means to go off and fight in a war. Or
1: or to be a a police officer, as he said he wanted to be.
0: Maybe possibly, but I think the way that um, Todd was explaining it, it was it was simple fact that you look, he served in there was a war, uh, he served in a war. Pidge is going to have to serve in a war. It just seemed like it was a matter of fact that you know Pidge is going to have to serve his country and fight, and he needs to know how to use a gun. Mm. it's kind of the. Uh, I didn't.
1: I didn't pick up on it that way. I'm not. I'm not mm. saying you're wrong, but I kind of just got more the the idea. I think at one point they have the conversation that. You know, if he if he's not exposed to something, he's not well. I know that later on, Ellen definitely has more in depth of a conversation. But Mm -hmm. you know, Todd's take on it is guns aren't necessarily bad; it just depends on who's using them. Right. You know, and I think Pitch says, "Yeah, Todd carries a gun," but she just says, "You know, I don't I don't like it. I don't I don't want him playing with guns. I don't want him exposed to them."
0: Right. Well, Ellen tells Todd that she won't go to church with him tomorrow. And Todd gives her effectively an ultimatum that he can't keep asking him and be turned down. Well, cut to the train station and the telegraph office. A message comes in. Telegraph operator reads the message. And unfortunately, that was the end of my page. <laughs> telegraph operator reads the telegraph operator reads the message message and sends his assistant out to find the sheriff in a hurry. The guy he uh, races and finds Todd. And once he does, they they get back to the station. The operator tells Todd uh, or fills Todd in on the big message after he kicks the other guy out of the room because this is a a classified message. Turns out the president of the United States is coming to town at 5 p.m. that day.
1: I I like the way that they phrase this, too, because it's a telegraph, isn't Mm -hmm. it? I I understand it. And I love that it, it reads quote, president will arrive suddenly at five suddenly. o'clock, <laughs> <Unquote>. <laughs> I kind of, there was a little chuckle in that for me.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was cute. The sheriff goes about making some arrangements, you know, uh, getting arranging some, some extra security, uh, getting a limo, et cetera. On an early afternoon train, the representatives of the Secret Service arrive, led by Dan Carney. Agent Carney starts making his own arrangements, and setting about for the uh, security that they, you know, they got to go check out all the buildings and figure everything out. He inquires about a house that's up on the hill that overlooks the station. Well, that's the old uh, Pop Benson's house. And old Pete Benson was, uh, turns out, he was a Secret Service agent himself. And not only was he an agent, he was actual Carney's old boss. Well, it's time to meet Pop Benson, or, well, there's a lot of Pete's in this. In this, film, <laughs> they
1: actually. call him Pops. For, they do for call most him the whole thing
0: through the whole film. So it's time to meet Pop Benson. He's trying to repair his TV, and Helen tries to convince him to call uh, Jud the repairman, but he'll have none out of it. Yeah, he, he, I built television receivers long ago. Yeah, did they work? I don't know. I never got the part I needed. <laughs> well, Pidge is still mad at his mom for not letting him wear his new cap gun. Apparently, the other boys call him a sissy because his mom won't let him see the war pictures or play with guns.
1: This is, i do—I want to bust in just real quickly. I do like this scene, especially with Pidge. And I'm—you're mm-hmm. probably going to discover that I think Pidge is probably the most interesting character in this whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and you—you you probably know that's a little bit strange coming from me, as you know, I like my nephews and nieces, but pretty much nobody else's kids. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it is interesting. I mean, they. It's a very there. There are attitudes from Paige that I was a little surprised to see in a movie made in the area of Donna Reed and Leave It to Beaver.
2: No,
1: sure, you know. And so he's, you know, she says, "Why aren't you eating your cake?" And he, she says, "I made it just for you." And he says, "You, you made it because you won't let me wear my gun." Like Mm -hmm. you know, this is a kid that not much escapes him. He knows his mom is trying to make him feel better because she won't let him do what he wants. But you know, he's he sees what's going on, you know. And then they have that whole interchange where she says, you know, drink your milk, and he goes sissy, and she goes what? And he's like, well, that's what the fellas call me, you Uh know. And you know, he he's not allowed to go on this this hike with the Boy Scouts, and you know, Mm -hmm. so pretty much he's just having an all around rough day. But but I do think that at this point you kind of figure out that this yeah he seems a little rebellious in the moment but he's he's a smart kid he's not i think a typical to this era movie child character
0: yeah he's very smart and you're right i mean the attitude that he puts out to his mom is not one i've seen from any kid in the 50s exactly not in a movie (laughs) all very subservient or oh gee well if you say so yeah yeah, th- this is not the uh, picture-perfect child that they have on the television. Well,
1: it, yeah, it, and he's more hes more real, I think.
0: Exactly. Oh, know? he is very much. It's, no, it, 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 this kid is a modern kid, honestly. <laughs> this is the kid that I've seen my 11-year-old do.
1: <laughs> well, he's a real kid, and that's, I think, something that we, we don't get to see in older films is they just aren't – Oh, I could get into a whole thing about stage beauty and how it shows, you know, the the way that acting progressed over the age, you know, during that right. time period. The same thing with this, though. I think that the writers writers initially in movies didn't think people cared about the kids unless it was a child movie, you know, Shirley mm-hmm. Temple or something like that. Right. And so it's it it just was kind of a non issue before. But I think um, I I think in a very small way they're trying to address a specific issue with Mm -hmm. children, which we'll talk about a little bit later on. (laughs) But I think, I think they they made him such a robust character because they wanted to, to make kind of a point, I think a little bit later on. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, pop tries to smooth things out between Pidge and Helen and he kind of takes Pidge's and Todd's side a little bit. Uh, Everyone's kind of ganging up on Helen. And there's actually some pretty tense moments between Pop and Helen when she refers to her husband's death as a murder.
5: There's cruelty and hatred and tyranny in the world. You can't make believe they aren't there. And pitch has got to learn what is the law and what isn't the law so he can defend it.
2: Defend it? So he can become a soldier and go out and be murdered like his father was?
5: My son was killed in the performance of his duty, Helen. Duty.
2: Being blown to bits on some godforsaken battlefield, thousands of miles from where he was born. You call that duty? Yes, Ellen. Well, is that what you'd like for Pidge? Would that make you happy?
5: Pete could hear you now, I think he'd be ashamed of you.
3: How can you say a terrible thing like
5: that? When the old boys wrote those words, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, they sounded mighty nice. But they wouldn't have been worth a plug nickel if somebody hadn't made them stick.
0: But he, he gets very defensive. You know, my son died doing his duty and, and she takes it right back to him. I mean she this is not this is a woman that feels is still feeling the the, the hurt of her husband dying, you know, thousands of miles away from home. Yeah.
1: And this is, again, this is kinda one of those one of the more genuine moments I feel in the film. And I it appreciate hurts. it because, you know, if a woman is not gonna look at the death of her husband and be like, Oh, he was a great soldier, I'm so proud of him. She's right. gonna, be really upset and I like it that they didn't genericize I don't even know if that's a word they didn't make her generic <laughs> and just like oh I'm a super great patriot she's kind of she's got a little of not anti-patriotism but she balances the loss of her. she she feels the loss of her husband more acutely than just somebody that she's going to wash it off as being for his country
0: exactly Well, back in town, the state troopers are arriving, and we get a brief look at a uh, trio in a car, including Frank Sinatra, but uh, more on them later. Well, Todd and Agent Carney are still hammering out the details and all the logistics of the president's arrival. And then uh, back at the house, Pop's attempt to fix the TV doesn't go so well, so he practically blows the thing up. Uh, So they decide to call Judd. And about that time, the doorbell rings at the Benson House, and the three men we saw earlier introduce themselves as FBI agents. Uh, John Barron, played by Frank Sinatra, uh, Benny Conklin, this is uh, the Paul Freese character, and the third one is Bart Wheeler. I don't have the actor's name, my apologies. The three men case the house without really explaining anything. When Pop starts to get a little angry, Barron spills the beans on the president's visit. Their story is that they are there to make sure the family and the president stay safe because of the great vantage point that the house has, and it's perfect for an assassination. I like the fact that they tell Pop pretty much the exact truth of what's going on, just kind of from a different point of view.
1: (laughs) Again, there's a little bit of a kind of real moment here when I think Pidge pipes up and says, oh, Grandpa used to... Grandpa was a bodyguard for President Coolidge, you know, in, mm-hmm. in Frank Sinatra's character. Baron kind of looks at him and goes, oh, really? You know, and he starts looking at him differently than he would if he
0: were just an old man in-house. Well, meanwhile, Agent Carney confides in the sheriff that they have a tip of a, on a threat on the president's life. So now they know that this isn't the usual uh, kind of stuff that's going on. So they decide, you know, uh, Agent Carney takes— or Todd takes Agent Carney up to uh, see Pop Benson as a, kind of a last stop before uh, before the president arrives. And that's where we uh, get back at the house, where Todd and Carney get there, and Pop greets him at the door and tells Carney about the, you know, they, there's a nice uh, get-together, like, oh, where have you been? Boy, you lost all your hair. Well, 25 years. Why aren't you dead? Uh, who knows? <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> I caught that. It kind of yeah. made me chuckle.
0: Exactly. And then um, Pop uh, tells them, "Oh, well, you guess you, you know your, your agents have already got here. You know, got here ahead of you." Well, Carney, knowing that these guys are frauds, he goes for his gun. Well,
1: Carney says, "Who?" And he says, uh, "Baron," and he goes, right. "Baron." And then you see Frank Sinatra. And you see the one shot in this film that is such a 1930s shot. And Frank Sinatra has this kind of eh, look on his face.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's got this, this weird smiling glare. It's like it's, he he's smiling. You can't help but tell – you can't really tell if it's a smile of maybe I can pass myself off to this guy or maybe – or is it a – is it an evil glare if, or if, is it a – If
1: I were writing it, I would say he bared his teeth wolfishly.
0: Oh. That's oh, what I would oh, say. Oh, goodness. All right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it is, it is one of those weird moments where there's no other sound on the set. And so it's all, mm-hmm. you can tell they shot it separately and he's just standing there like, er, you know, ha, I got here ahead of you, but I'm going to kill you. So.
0: Right. <laughs> well, a shootout leaves Carney dead, the sheriff wounded and Helen knocked out. Baron tells Pop one word out of anyone, any trouble and the kid's dead. Which I thought was again for nineteen fifties that you know the life that is threatened the most here is an eight year old kid. Mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of a change of pace, at least for me.
1: Well, and probably I mean, if you look at it in this time period, that's gonna be like the most evil despicable thing that you can think oh, of. Oh, absolutely. You know, and now it's <laughs> it seems very doled down and you know, we can watch it and be like, Oh yeah, that's horrible, but we've been so desensitized at the time. Mm-hmm. You know that would be extremely shocking in the movie. What? You're going to threaten the kid instead of the adults? That's horrible.
0: Right. Oh yeah. There. What, what I really love is there is no point in this film where you feel for Baron. I mean, he is <laughs> he's despicable.
1: It, and that's I think what I was trying to say with this. You know, it's not his typical character. At some point, most of his characters are lovable, but in this case, he's not, and he doesn't try to be. So it's definitely a deviation.
0: Yes. Well, Pop and Ellen go about mending to, uh, Todd while Barron and his men start setting up. Todd and Pop try to think of something to save them and the president. Pop is reminded of his service revolver. It's in his top drawer, but he has the cartridges hidden on account of Pidge. And uh, so he goes digging around in there trying to find them.
1: <laughs> At which point we go back to the living room and Paige yes. yells, You're a dirty lousy gangster. <laughs> just randomly. <laughs> yeah. I love he yeah. just randomly not randomly, but he just starts abusing these guys with guns. You know, again, it's oh, yeah. it's this kid. He's so gutsy. I love
0: him. Yeah, he's got he's got no fear. And I kind of get a kick out of the fact that Baron sort of uh, admires that about the kid. Exactly. He's like the kid's got guts. He's eight years old. A lot of guts. <laughs> yeah, you bunch of rotten gangsters. You're just a bunch of cowards. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I think he starts kind of um, getting under all of their skins. Paul Freeze is ready to, to knock him, him. In the next week. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, uh, the other guy starts you know, keeps complaining about his ulcer.
1: <laughs> it's interesting. They got you know this part where he's saying, "Oh, you're a bunch of cowards," and and Baron says, "I." I I'm not a coward. I I got a silver star.
2: I, right. Yeah. And he
1: says, you know, I killed 27 men and I love it. Cause again, pitch comes back and he goes, ah, you stole it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that is the Pidge. one moment where, you know, right away, Frank Sinatra just smacks him, which yeah, like,
0: he gets a, yeah, Pidge gets a box in the ear from, uh, from Baron. And that
1: right there, if you were shocked when I said Frank Sinatra smacks him, That is the proof that this is an unusual character for Frank Sinatra. (laughs) Because even when I said it, I went, oh, I just actually said Frank Sinatra smacks a kid. What?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, just as Pop finds and manages to load his revolver, uh, the gangsters uh, come back in. They bring him back into the room. Pop is able to uh, stash the gun back in the drawer without being caught. Pop's pretty smart. I like Pop.
1: Yeah, I like Pop, too. And honestly, right. I got to say Todd is pretty smart. They're, none of the characters in this movie do I look at them and just go, oh, that person's an idiot. <laughs> right. yeah. I occasionally watch movies and just go, oh, that person's a total idiot. I, I hate this person. They're stupid. But in this film, you know, granted, Ellen may not be the, the sharpest pencil in the box, but all of her motives are pure. You know, She just wants to protect her kid. That's what's important to her.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, we'll talk a little bit more about that when we get done with the synopsis. I want to talk a little bit more about Ellen and, and just some of the other characters here, but we'll wait till after the synopsis. Once everyone's back in the living room, they all settle in to uh, wait till 5 o'clock. Todd does what he can to kind of start to get under Baron's skin, trying to get some more details out of him. He realizes that, you know, Baron does like to talk, and he figures that's that's his weakness. If he keeps talking, he's going to let his guard down. It's going to give him an opportunity to uh to get the upper hand.
5: You're a very careful man. That's right. Planned on everything, huh? Sheriff, the first man they shoot to the moon in a rocket'll take pains, too. Of course that's never been done before. Neither is this. Doesn't that worry you? Haven't got time to worry. I just make my plans and carry them out. That's what John Wilkes Booth thought, too. Booth? Ha! <laughs> <laughs> I'm no actor. Busting my leg on a stage so I can yell down with the tyrants. If Booth wasn't such a ham, he might have made it. He got pretty far at that, though. The guy who killed Garfield didn't make it either. Him? He didn't plan anything. Just took a lucky shot, strictly left-handed, just like McKinley. And Zangara got the cheer for his try at Roosevelt. He had to try it in a crowd. I hate crowds. So nobody ever made it? Up till here. I'm just a guy making a living.
0: Well, Baron sends Benny down into town to check things out and get any information he can, make sure the train's on time and everything's still going smoothly. Judd, meanwhile, actually shows up. Everyone kind of forgot that they called Judd. He shows up to fix the TV, and he gets to uh, join in the uh, little hostage situation.
1: And I, I do like when Judd shows up, there's... I wouldn't call him the comic relief, but he's a little bit funny. You know, and at one point, you know, Frank Sinatra tells uh, Wheeler is the other guy's name. He says, you know, pat him down or whatever. And he's checking him and he goes, I don't got I don't have any dough if that's what you want. Yeah, is this a stick up? <laughs> and and it kinda yeah. the second time I watched this, I was like, Oh yeah, nobody in this town knows that the president's gonna be there except exactly. for the Secret Service.
0: Right. Yeah, the people in that room and then the Secret Service are the only ones, so poor Judd has no idea what's going on, and it actually takes him a long time to figure it out. It's like, even like ten minutes later, and he's like, really? What's going on? And then Todd actually,
1: yeah, Todd actually, yeah, Todd pulls to him.
0: him, he's like, oh, that's not true, that can't be, and then he sees the gun mounted to the table. He's like, it is true <laughs>
1: yeah and I don't think we've even mentioned that you know as right. they're as they're going through Frank Sinatra I keep calling Frank Sinatra let's let's go back to calling him Baron sorry Baron you know tells his guys to mount this gun on a table it turns out the mm-hmm. table's metal so they have to you know mount the leg to the floor and then you know screw it all it, it gets very complicated but yeah. they, their plan is to use
0: they're making a sniper's position a
1: sniper rifle yeah exactly
0: I did read some trivia that the gun he's using is a German uh, rifle, and apparently it they is, mention
1: that in the movie. Actually,
0: yeah, they oh that's right, they do. Um, but apparently, the the that rifle is very adequate for the job that they had <laughs> that they were using it for. Baron gets Ellen to get him some food. Uh, She pulls a knife out of the drawer and does that long pause, that contemplative pause with the knife in hand. Huge Uh,
1: knife, by the way. What is she going to cut with that?
0: (laughs) That was not a bread knife.
1: It's a (laughs) wildebeest knife.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Baron takes the knife from her.
1: Haven't you any feelings at all?
5: No, I haven't, lady. They were taken out of me by experts. Feelings are trap. Show me a guy with feelings and I'll show you a sucker. It's a weakness. Makes you think of something beside yourself. If I had any feelings left in me at all, it'd be for me. Just me. Don't you ever think of your mother, your father? Think of him? I used to think of him a great deal. My mother wasn't married. My old man was a dipso. They left me in a home. A home. When I was a kid, I swore that one day I'd kill them both, but I didn't have to. They drank themselves to death feelings The experts took care of that
4: It's no use it's no use
0: as he describes it, he doesn't have any feelings you know he i he's obviously had a rough life. you wonder. There's a lot more to his life that, and this is the closest you come to like gaining any kind of, oh, he's damaged oh, something really bad happened to him in his past. Cause he's, he tells that, you know, his feelings have been cut out of him and you, you wonder when that happened, what happened, was it? <clears throat> abuse as a child, what did something happen in, in the yeah, war?
1: Yeah. And she says, don't, don't you ever think of anybody else, your mother, or your father. And he says, I, yeah, I think about him a lot and they dumped him in an orphanage is what happened. Yeah. You know, he says, yeah, I thought I used to think about him all the time, you know, <laughs> it, but I do, I have to say, I appreciate that they don't dig super deep here. It's enough to know that this guy has deeply rooted issues without, again, they don't make him a pathetic character. So, I mean, it you don't feel sorry for him, even though he's had a rough life. It's you. I mean, you see, they, they allow you in the scene to see how damaged he is without making you feel sorry for him.
0: Yeah. And I will mention, too, that I had to actually watch two versions of the film. There was an odd cut at this point, and I, I didn't know if it was the... You know the download or the film itself. So I went and looked and found another copy of it online. There's actually a scene that comes right after that where he talks about the kids put him in, or those parents put him in an orphanage and in, in some sort of home. There's a there's a the scene continues. I don't know if you saw this, which version you watched. Uh, where he says that you know, he thought about actually he, he wanted to kill them, but they did that for him by drinking themselves to death.
1: No, I did not see that.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Interesting.
0: Yeah, there's, so there's a couple versions. Even uh, on archive.org, there's a couple versions, and I think that it's on YouTube a couple places too. So I had to find a different – I went and downloaded it again and found a different link and uh, checked that out. And so there, in one version, there's a couple weird cuts, and then in the, another version, the uh, the cuts are back in place. Interesting. It's just a couple of lines missing from a few scenes, but a, again, additional great little bits of dialogue and a little bit into uh, Baron's head, I guess. Well, Pidge suddenly jumps up from the couch, calls a Wheeler. Uh, what do you call him a big dummy or? Oh no, you stink! <laughs> and, and runs and runs for his room. Oh man, those
1: are <laughs> then there's and fighting like words. come on, <laughs> you
0: stink! Well, Wheeler goes after him, and Pidge charges at him with his cap gun. You stink, Johnny! Pidge, come back here!
5: The kid, hold Pidge. it! Pidge! Pidge! Get him! Stick
4: him up, or I'll blast you.
5: Nice going, Bart. It's only a cap pistol.
4: I gave it to him myself. Don't you, Don John, darn you? I ought to beat his brains out the <laughs> little. What's so funny? You should have seen your face. A cap pistol. Go ahead, lab yourself sick. That's a
5: pretty good model, isn't it? They make him real today, don't they? Here Pitch. Blow his brains out. A couple of big, bold, bad men getting scared to death by a six-bit cap pistol. I ought to beat that kid. I'm not sure that he couldn't take you. Go put some milk on your ulcer and bring me a piece of the cake. Yeah, I need some milk.
0: <laughs> but <laughs> uh, Baron uh, just thinks it's absolutely hysterical. Wheeler was, you know, frozen on the spot <laughs> from this eight-year-old with a cap gun. Well, you know what? This is actually the 50-minute mark of the film. Uh, and the film's only, I think, 75 minutes long. Mm-hmm,
1: 75.
0: Yeah. And so that's about where I want to stop the synopsis but because all the pieces are in place. But I do want to talk a little bit about Barron because he has a great speech uh, coming up here where he explains why he took the job.
5: After the show, I hooked up with an outfit for good dough. The fingers said where and how much. And Johnny Barron did the job. You think anybody else could handle this job? You think Benny or Wheeler could do it without me? you talking too much, Johnny. There's nobody else can do this job because they got too much feeling. And feeling's no good. I got nothing against the president, Sheriff. He's just worth a half a million bucks to me, tax-free. Making my own laws about the taxes too, Pop.
4: The guy is goofy.
5: Shut up, Judd. Listen to him, Buster. And don't ever say that again, ever. You heard him, Judd. Half a million dollars, huh? yeah that's a lot of scratch sheriff man could retire on that amount of scratch how do you know it'll ever be paid half of it's been paid and the rest i'll get it i wouldn't be sure it's not just a man it's the president that's what's so funny the laugh is on the guys who are paying the freight all the salute and they don't even know what they're doing a half a million clams for absolutely nothing because tonight at 5 o'clock, I kill the president. One second after 5, there's a new president. What changes? Nothing. What are they paying for? Nothing. Otherwise, I wouldn't have taken a job, Sheriff.
0: Yeah, he doesn't care. He doesn't know who's paying them. He doesn't even care why they want it done. He just figures they're, they're paying for absolutely nothing because nothing's not going to change. change exactly. Right. Except his life. His life will change. Cause he's
1: yeah, he'll have a half a million dollars which in 1954 is a lot of money it's a lot of money now but
0: <laughs> no like you're saying you know the characters the the writing in this film the characters i think are just phenomenal i do think ellen or helen ellen. gets a little bit is it ellen it ellen is. or helen it's ellen 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 you're right i think i might have called her helen a few times my apologies i think she kind of gets the short shift she gets kind of the Sometimes she gets this really interesting bit, especially with her view on uh, on her husband and uh, his murder in the war, and her you know anti war kind of person. But then she kind of gets turned into the fifties woman. Sometimes I think isn't there even one line when she's worried? She's telling Pop about uh, be careful around the TV. He's like, Oh, stop being a woman. Yes, he
1: says, stop being a woman. <laughs> well, and and we cut off before I think some of her best moments or at least one, definitely one of her best moments near the end. And I don't want to get into it because it it's very revealing as to the, to the end, but, but, you know, so she, I, again, I didn't feel like she was too, like a lot of the times women in this era of film, just like scream and hide behind the guy. And there are definitely moments where she gets in the way to defend her son, which, you know, it, even though outside of that, she's just kind of a typical housewifely kind of character. Again, her motives are very pure, and she's—I I wouldn't call her one-dimensional, but she definitely has just one single motivation. And it—and and they stayed true to that throughout the movie.
0: What did you think about uh, Sterling Hayden, uh, Todd Shaw, the sheriff? The first time I watched it, I kept thinking, "Man, this guy's really wooden." <laughs> uh, the, sec- the second time I watched it, I got a little bit more out. I felt like I got a little bit more out of him.
1: I agree, and and it's interesting having heard you talk about his personal history. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense that they cast him here. Uh, I mean, he really did a lot of the things that you would have expected this character to have done. You know, he he talks about having been in the war, and they they met. There's a moment where he and Baron kind of barely. Mentioned that they were both in the same war at the same time. And, and it's kind of an interesting contrast if you really want to dig into it mentally. You know, you can definitely overanalyze it and be like, wow, these are really dichotomies of the two kinds of men that could have come out of the war. But I mean, I don't think that was the intent. But it, I think as far as he is concerned, it makes so much sense that, you know, he really is playing, I think, a version possibly of him his real self. And so it's... But I believe him in this. Like, he's especially – so to me, I think that the scenes where he's the most wooden are the ones where he's trying to be romantic to Ellen. And yeah. After
0: yeah, that. I think maybe that's it. I think that's exactly – it. The, the earlier scenes when he – Yes. Ellen, I love you. It's true. i it's <laughs> the same and, and
1: that's the voice, too. That's hilarious because he talks like this. and But he's not – conversing he's kind of saying his lines but as soon as they're into kind of the more intense scenes i felt like he was a very good a very solid choice to be this kind of boy scout sheriff
0: yeah absolutely I i definitely think once you actually get into the hostage situation where he's there and he's trying to get in under Baron's skin and he's very unbelievably going oh don't worry about me I'm finished I'm like oh please
1: well and on purpose like you can tell <laughs>
0: yeah. you know
1: obviously he's ragging on him a little bit you know and he's and he keeps saying well it's just a question of now or later so if we're going to give the president a shot by us going ahead and getting killed now and raising a ruckus then we might as well do it you know and and, in a, and it's but I never felt like he was trying to put Ellen and, and Pidge in danger he's trying to it's like he's trying to keep Baron's attention on himself
0: James Gleason is Pop Benson. I liked him. He was just a fun guy. I just, I almost kind of wanted like a movie that was more, I I wanted (laughs) another movie with Pop Benson, you
1: know? Right. Well, it would have been interesting. He was a great granddad. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting. I mean, he's obviously very patriotic and he obviously has worked as a bodyguard for the president, so it kind of makes sense. Um, It's interesting that he's not disillusioned after that. You know, and he it sounds like he kind of got out of it early because he he took a bullet in a hunting accident, you know, and had to had to retire early. But it it, it, I I don't have anything beyond that. (laughs) It's just worth I think it's worth. It's interesting that they put him in this position because they very easily could have just made it like a, a victim, a family victim story kind of thing, where the sheriff comes in and saves the day. But he, they all kind of participate to try and resolve this issue, and so so I think I just think it's interesting that they chose to make the character stronger than they had to.
0: I think this is also one of those great stories where you can't help but think what happens next. You really want to know. You know what this family is like the day after uh, this event, or the, or, the, or the month after. See,
1: and I this is great. Uh, I don't want to reveal too much, but I I in a way, you saying that makes they th- makes me think they wrap it too completely. Mm. They almost they could have almost just left it without the final scene. Oh, okay. Uh, it, I think I can say that without yeah, saying I too much.
0: I with, I, yeah, I think I agree with <laughs> you. It's almost I think like they go back talk. to the grocery
1: store. And it's yeah. like, really? like, And I'm not disappointed in it by any means. And in fact, I didn't even think of it until what you said just now. But that brings up a really valid point that they, they could have either explored it further or they could have just left it open. Mm-hmm. And instead they kind of half-wrapped it.
0: And kind of give you the, well... You know I don't even want to say it because yeah I think it, <laughs> I know, exactly. it, it just gives, it just gets too much and I'm not exactly. gonna I'm not gonna say anything.
1: <laughs> well and it's so interesting because the end of this the end of this movie the we'll just say the action involving these four people Pidge and Ellen you know and Todd and Pops like the the part that each of these people plays in the end it, it's very it's just I feel like it like shows them all to be very atypical. Well, it shows most of them to be very atypical for this era of movie. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, Todd Todd's role is a little predictable just because of his position in the community. Sure, sure. But the rest of them it's kind of like, I I felt like they made, I, I almost feel like we should say, okay, at this point if you want to watch it <laughs> and not know the end, go watch it now. Pause it and then come back because <laughs> I, I really like there are two specific things that I kind of want to mention, which aren't a huge deal, but they really you know reflect a lot about, specific, about two characters in particular about the, in this movie.
0: Okay, well let's let's do that. Please, anybody that wants to uh, watch this and not get spoiled, please, yeah, just like Lydia said, go 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 watch it. Come back, <laughs> whatever whatever we're at, because I want to hear what Lydia has to say. And then come right back to this spot. Okay. <laughs> we're at
1: 50, Oh, wait. No, sorry. <laughs> I was going to say we're at 56 minutes. That's how long we've been on the call. But, uh, okay, so a little interval music here. Do, 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 do. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what I really... Okay, so all that done. Moving on, they get to the point where, where Baron has a shot. You know, he, he has the opportunity to go for the mm-hmm. rifle. You know, again, without telling too much. But I – it's just – and, you know, they have for – first of all, you know, they have that moment where Pidge actually has the opportunity to switch out his cap gun for the real gun. And he mm. does. And that didn't surprise me. That I was like, oh. No,
0: no, no. That was telegraph. That was – Really? You know,
1: yeah. It, you would think a kid would probably do that. What I didn't see coming – well, so – and then and then I think after that there's a part where Ellen's like, you know, I, I wish you were dead. And, and which was – by the way, I was like, woo. Yeah. Whoa, you know, and and Baron says, you know, he, she says, she he says, oh, you you don't got the guts, and she says, well, give me, you know, give me a chance, and he says, here's your chance, and he hands her the gun,
2: mm-hmm. and this
1: is the part where I feel like her character breaks down just a little bit yeah. because. She really I would have loved to have seen her shoot him you know yeah. right then and be like you're you're threatening my son he's out I to be fair I don't recall if he's in the room or not at that
0: point. Oh uh, he's in the basement.
1: I thought he was. So yeah. you know they she is alone with Baron at this point and has the opportunity to shoot him and there are t- two guys down in there in addition to her son and the guy holding the gun. So there's a possibility they really could have overcome the other guy. So she mm-hmm. really has an opportunity right here. And she yeah. doesn't take it. She dissolves into tears, you know. Right.
0: And, or even, even if she doesn't shoot him, I would love to have heard the click.
1: Yes, yes. You know, heard, yes. Heard you know and, and of course, you know, we, we know a little bit more about that. But um, so, so you know, so the, it goes through this whole thing in, in – and so it really surprised me. And I was I was impressed, it, you know, as it comes to this culmination, everything's happening, and Pidge actually takes a shot at him.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I was like, they just showed an 8-year-old kid try and shoot a guy. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, what? You know, and, and I think specifically to this era of movie, I was just like, I can't believe they did that. I would have expected, you know, him to put the gun down and Todd to have grabbed it and shot, you know, right. shot Baron or something. But Pidge actually takes a, shoot, a shot at him, blew my mind. Like I and then you know and then of course tosses the gun aside. But then you know that which gives Ellen the opportunity to to shoot Baron mm-hmm. and I was like thank you for finally taking that opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> so it's interesting, I mean, because everybody in the room, it's not the typical scene where you have, you know, Todd jumping and struggling with the gun with Baron, and everybody right. else cowers. It's like every person here is, like, actually going to try and take a shot. So I, I thought those very unusual and made this, particularly the end of this movie, very interesting and, you know, kind of gripping.
0: I was actually... I guess I shouldn't say surprise, but yeah, I was actually surprised at how much I enjoyed this film, (laughs) Uh, which, well, let me say that when it started, like I said, when I thought, oh my God, am I going to sit through, am I going to have to sit through you know, sterling hayden
1: <laughs> wooden i'm in wooden. love with you ellen yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly i kind of i felt the same way you know it opens up with this guy driving down the road no intro nothing and it just boom all of a sudden car driving down the road and it felt like a tv movie at first and then once it went into the credits it felt a little bit more you know standard but you're exactly right the them walking down the street and talking, and then him trying to, you know, confess his love to Ellen and all of that. It's very painful. It's not painful. It's just not exceptional.
0: Right. And then, you know, the, then the film turns into effectively a one-act play. It's a, it's a one scene. You know, they're in the living room kind of thing. Yes. And, and but amazingly, I mean, you are not bored through the whole thing. No. There is actually some really good dialogue. There's a little bit of action. There's some tense moments. There's the occasional. In a way, a brief, you know, moments of comedy, thanks to Pidge, that aren't really comedic because mm-hmm. they actually lead right into more intense situations. Yeah, you know?
1: exactly. But it definitely never slows down. There's never a point where it's just dragging.
0: So I think I have a pretty good idea where we're both going to fall on the uh, – <laughs> but let's let's hear it. You want me to go first? I do. Like, I'd I make, like you to go I've, first. I've made you go first, I think, through a lot of these. <laughs> I will go first. I'm going to give it a four. Easily, out of five, four out of five, yeah, because it was really good. I'd almost want to go another half point, but I think I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with four. But I just I just really enjoyed. In the end, I enjoyed everything about it. I like the fact that our villain was a villain. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: It's very very rare that you find characters that don't get a lot of screen time to develop themselves. Developed. Um, very well, yeah. As well as they did. As well the, as they did, yeah. Yes, exactly.
1: Well, on the Ophel scale, I don't be too disappointed. I'm going to give it a one. No, I'm just joking. I, <laughs> I, I would go with a three, three and a half. Okay. And a couple of reasons for that there's nothing super breakthrough with this movie, um, you know, there's nothing technically exceptional. Um, the story is very well done. And I think that if it, it, but it is tagged on either end with some very stereotypical scenes. Okay. So it's not, it doesn't just start powerfully and just stay powerful through the whole thing and end fantastically. You know, Mm -hmm. it starts very mediocre. And then once it gets into the situation, it's very, very good, clicks really well. But then again, at the end, you kind of have this blah, blah, you know, (laughs) Um, know, it's not a bad ending. It's just a very stereotypical ending, I feel like. So and then the other thing, too, is I have to say I think that if Frank Sinatra were not cast in this movie, it would be a good movie. But I think it would be much easier to rate it lower because it's not Frank Sinatra in this really unusual role. So it's not that it's poorly done. It's just looking at it a little bit more objectively. I would give it a three, three and a half, just based on those specific detractions, not by any means to say you shouldn't see this movie, um, especially if you enjoy Frank Sinatra, enjoy 50, you know early 50s, mid 50s films. This is a, a very good one to watch. It's very interesting. It's, it's a very unusual, I feel like it's unusual for its time period. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I would be a little more moderate with my praise.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, and I think that's probably where I um, where I can justify not giving it any higher than a four is some of the points you mentioned. As far as the beginning and the ending, I think aren't as strong as the middle of the film. Or honestly, it's re- really kind of funny. It's literally the first five minutes of the film that or kind of like, meh, you know, this could be Mayberry. Exactly. And then, um, I don't mind the very final scene of the film. I like how it sort of comes, comes around to the beginning again, sort of, but it's that little bit, uh, before that between Todd and Ellen that I just like, "Mm," you know, didn't really care for that.
1: I almost need you to remind me then, because that's kind of the end that I was thinking of was that little bit with Todd and Ellen at the end.
0: Oh, well, with Todd now. Well, remember.
1: and you're you're talking about the the car bit,
0: and that, that's the very end that I that, that,
1: that I'm fine with. Yeah,
0: <laughs> the very very ending I'm fine with. But
1: I feel it's, like it's, again, I, I almost with that with the car tags even like even ignoring the bits where, with Todd and Ellen, which aren't bad. They just are, you know. I mentioned I felt like they were added to get women to come see the movie <laughs> you know yeah. oh there's a romance in it you know but really it's there's not <laughs> it really isn't. And, and i feel like i feel really the same about the car scenes with this you know this whole suddenly gag it's only there to justify the title of the film that's it there's no they could have named this mayberry and it would be the same movie they could have named this you know Schwartzville, and it would have been the same movie. The only difference would have been you couldn't have the Schwartzville joke at the beginning and end. It wouldn't have made any sense. They, they, <laughs> you know, they were going to call it gradually instead of Schwartzville. Uh, that makes no sense. So, <laughs> that so I feel like it was. It's like the beginning and ending are forced. Like they had this great idea and these really interesting characters that they, you know, that it's it goes fast this whole thing, and it's it's almost weird because at the end of it again, you know, she says, I'll pick you up tomorrow for church. In the beginning, he says, I'll pick you up tomorrow for church. And at the end, you're going, wait, this was all in one day? Oh, my goodness. You know? It's like they had this great idea for this core of this movie, and they were like, well, how do do we introduce it? I know, let's make a gag about the name of the town. Nothing else, and it's funny. But let's make a joke at the beginning and the end. And it's kind of like, again, I think that's, you know, almost illustrates why my rating is at like a three is because it's not, it just doesn't all flow.
0: All right. Fair enough. Well, I would certainly like to hear any listeners point of view on this film, whether they, you know, fall on the three or the four or lower or higher. Be really interesting to hear from you guys. Send an email to orphanentertainment at gmail.com or join us on the Facebook page or comment on the YouTube page. Any one of those, I'll be sure to pass it along to Lydia so she knows what everybody thinks. And we'll, of course, uh, read or play any voicemails or emails right here on the podcast.
1: Yeah, we haven't had one for a while. We need another one.
0: We have not. Well, Lydia, thank you very much. I'm glad you—I mean, it still sounds like you enjoyed the film, even if you didn't. I uh, did. I,
1: and, on, and I feel a little sad about— You know, my my awful rating for it, because it's not that it's a bad movie, you know, but uh, but I did enjoy it. I really did.
0: If either of us go really high or really low on a film or anywhere in between, as long as we can justify why we give yeah. it that, you know, it, I'm, it's perfectly fine. Well, and,
1: I, and we've watched some horrible movies that I've oh, loved yeah. watching, but I can't <laughs> give them a good rating. Exactly. And in this case, it's almost like this is a really good movie. I just can't give it a great rating.
0: <laughs> Maybe we need, to, we need to expand our ratings. We need to give it like, you know, technical. It's like the Olympics. <laughs> you know? we'll give it.
1: T- Artistic. Technically, art-
0: <laughs> Technically it, this film gets this number for sheer enjoyment. They
1: have the Oscars for a reason. The Academy Awards <laughs> exist to that depth so that we don't have to go into that depth. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right. Well, let's uh, let's leave that leave it there. Uh, thanks everyone for listening and downloading. Please continue to do so, and we hope to hear from you very soon. So until next time, thanks again, Lydia, and thanks to all listeners. Bye. Bye.